Hi there, Duke fans. Episode 551 of the DBR, the Duke Basketball Roundup, coming at you. Are you sick of us yet? I think we've been in your feed. I think this is either three Actually, this is four days in a row. Monday, yeah, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And by the way, we're going to have one tomorrow, Friday as well, uh, because there's so much stuff to talk about. It is just Donald. I, I, but I'm Jason. That's Donald. Dude, I, I can't even, I can't remember a week this busy that was, <laughs> there was not a regular, the regular season hasn't even started yet. And we're on to this incredibly busy period of time for, for Blue Devil News. It's It's been a lot of fun. I mean, it's it, funny, yes. you know, part of it usually, Jason, is that like football at this point is kind of irrelevant and it still very much is. So like we yeah. had the game tonight against Wake Forest. It's a really, really big game for us to get back on track. So it's great that we get to to have that. And then, yeah, the basketball news has been coming quick and fast and I know we got some more that we have to talk about that, you know, could be coming this weekend. Exactly. And, and as we often do, we'll, we'll set the plate for all of you. We'll let you know what is on the menu. This episode today, we'll be talking about last night's game where the Blue Devils played a UNC Pembroke, the last exhibition, last chance for us to see Duke before the games actually start to count in the scorebook. We're going to talk all about that extensively. Additionally, there is more recruiting news just when you thought John Shire couldn't get another one, it looks like maybe, possibly, Duke is about to get another one. And we will wrap it all up at the end. We could not let this episode go by without saying a few words about Robert Montgomery Knight, the general. We will have that coming up a little later. By the way, we already alluded to tomorrow. Tomorrow we'll talk a little bit about the football game that's happening tonight, Duke versus Wake Forest. Tune in and watch that game. Blue Devils need your support as they attempt to become bowl eligible. They are big favorites against Wake Forest, but never an easy game against the Demon, Demon Deacons. And this Duke team has been very banged up lately. Um, and then the other thing we're going to be doing tomorrow is we'll preview the start of the regular season, Duke's first regular season game against Dartmouth. We'll have all that you need to know about that. But first, let's go back in time to last night. The Blue Devils played UNC Pembroke. It was a joke of a game, not the fault of UNC Pembroke. It's just that Duke is just way, way better than a Division II team, even a really good Division II team. We've talked about these exhibitions, the, the D1 teams, that Power 5 teams play against smaller teams, and you know sometimes having some trouble in some of those games. Quite often, the D2 and NIAI, whatever you call it, teams that they're playing are not that good. Pembroke has an excellent reputation at the D2 level. As the announcers mentioned on the broadcast a couple times, this is a team that's expected to be, you know, like top eight, top 10 in division two next year. So this was, again, not real competition for Duke, but a, a decent team, a team that plays with pride, a team that plays well. And the Blue Devils blew them out of the building, scoring 109 points. Donald, if I can, please allow me host privilege. Like, look, I've been sitting here, sure. been doing nothing but, I've been doing nothing but talking. You like said hi, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. Oh, Hi, everybody. Yeah, exactly. Allow me host privilege. Here's how I want to kind of break down that that exhibition last night. I want to talk first about the rotations. And let me begin with this. Obviously, everyone has been wondering who's the fifth starter. Uh, we, we've gotten some word. We've gotten some hints that it was going to be Jared McCain, not Ryan Young. Those seem to be the two guys that were kind of vying to be the fifth starter along with the you know four return uh, well three returning sophomores and Jeremy Roach our returning senior uh it uh, last night we saw it was Jared McCain um it's worth noting Caleb Foster and Ryan Young were the first guys off the bench though I was it, it we need to talk about the fact Ryan Young did not play as much as you might have expected um given some of the preseason chatter about him given some of what we've seen in scrimmages and other stuff I don't know if maybe it was a function of coach Shire wanting to see younger guys uh, not really needing to see Ryan Young against an overmatched opponent like, like this. But if you are one of those folks, and there are people out there who think that Ryan Young's going to play, you know, 20 plus minutes per game, this exhibition game I had to give you pause. He only played nine minutes. He played the least of any scholarship player for Duke. Um, and then the other rotation stuff I think we need to talk about is that TJ, uh, sorry, Sean Stewart and TJ Power came in later than Caleb Foster and Ryan Young, but it still feels like those guys are very much in the rotation. Also feels like Jalen Blakes is in the rotation. Everyone kind of forgets about Jalen Blakes, but his defensive pressure is still, I think, going to be useful for Duke in most games. And then the last thing I want to mention about the rotation is that I suspect my man Jaden Shute is the odd man out at the moment. 
I mean, sort of just like he was last year. <clears throat> he didn't come in until the five-minute mark of the first – five minutes left in the first half. Literally didn't play the first 15 minutes. He didn't play much in the second half until we were sort of down to the end of the bench guys, you know, like the final, you know, uh, seven or so minutes. And I'm starting to fear that he's going to have a lot of did not play coach's decision on his game log for this season. Donald, give me your thoughts on the rotation thus far. So let's start with the the starters. And I think you you go back to the fifth starter and and we'll talk about how Jared McCain did. I thought he did extremely well last night. But I think when it comes to between him and Ryan Young, we have heard that like it's going to be a matchup thing. Whether if they want to go big, they want to go small will depend on we'll we'll actually factor into who starts whether it's Jeremy Kane or Ryan Young. Last night as you mentioned Ryan Young only got 9 minutes but Jason he was one of the first people off the bench. So that tells you that he is going to factor into the rotation whether again how they want to play but if you noticed last night most of the lineups that we had were quite small. And I think that's a product of playing UMC Pembroke who did not have any real big men to really worry about. So even flip at times was on the floor by himself with, you know, three guys that were under six, six. And, and it's one of those things where I think the matchup predicated having a smaller lineup in there, which is why you, thankfully you got to see a lot of Jeremy King. You got to see a lot of Caleb Foster. You got to see Jalen Blake's play and you got to see, uh, you know, even Jaden shoot, as you mentioned, he, he was one, he was the last scholarship player to check into the game, but he still got 12 minutes out of the ordeal mainly because we were, operating small compared to some games where we will have to, you know, muscle up and we're going to see more of Ryan Young and TJ power and, in you know, and, and Sean Stewart, like those type of guys. So I'm not necessarily concerned about how many minutes that Ryan played last night, because I think, you know, again, if we, if we line up against Arizona, you're going to see more Ryan Young because you're going to want to have more physicality. You're going to want to have more of a veteran presence. And he provided that in the nine minutes that he was on the floor. He also was, I thought was great with the ball in his hands working, you know, trying to find angles to pass and get people layups or, you know, as, as we'll talk about later, get fouled and go to the free throw line where we, we spent a lot of time last night. Yeah. I, now the one guy we have not mentioned is Christian Reeves. And I know everyone was like, what's going on. Uh, the, the word has come out that um, Christian Reeves tweaked his knee a little bit, did a little something to his knee uh, in warmups, literally right before the game was going to start. And they said, okay, look, we're just going to, it's an exhibition. We're holding you out so that we can make sure that, you know, everything's okay with the knee from all we've heard. It is not an issue. It's a pity because I was really interested in seeing where he fell on the rotation. Um, but we'll, we'll get more to the big men in just a moment. Donald, I want to start on the guards if we could really quickly. And I look, I, I know everyone is raving about Tyrese Proctor four three pointers in the first three minutes. How can you not raise uh, rave about him but ready for jason's hot take I, I sort of think jared mccain was the most impressive player that i saw in this scrimmage it felt to me like jared mccain could get his shot anytime he wanted to he didn't take a single shot that i thought was bad or rushed or wasn't a shot that i was like yeah that you know that was a good outcome in that play and uh, the thing that impressed me the most about jared mccain is he have, has an unusual understanding, I think, of the geometry of basketball. He sees space where others don't see it. He creates angles that make life really difficult for his defender. That is why he lives, I mean, lived at the free throw line. Um, his opening bucket was one where he got in the lane and used his body to get space for, for his shot. Um, he had a drive a short time later where he got bumped. And he turned into a three-point play because he recognized he was bumped and he was going to put a shot up and it, and it went in. Look, we, we need to see him do it against top-tier competition. I get that. and But I haven't seen anything yet that I don't think is translatable, almost regardless of the competition, because knowing those angles is just – it's not something you see from everybody. And hot take. You ready? <laughs> You're going to say, what? I sort of see some of the craftiness and scoring cleverness from Jeffrey McCain from uh, sorry from Jared McCain that you sometimes see from the great scoring guards like Steph Curry and Trey Young. I, I'm I'm gonna be I'm not compare I'm not saying he's a Steph or a Trey. 
two of the great scorers in the NBA. But these guys who sort of aren't like otherworldly run jump athlete, you know, like a John ja, ja Morant just jumps out of the, you know, he's just a, a, on another level in terms of his athleticism. Those guys don't have that athleticism, but they have this craftiness around the basket. And I'll tell you one other thing. I sort of think there's a non-zero chance that Jared McCain leads this team in scoring this year. I, that's that's my big takeaway. That's I need to hear from you on, on some of those craziness. But like I said, I thought McCain was the most impressive player in this scrimmage. We'll we'll save we'll save that last part for the stats game. But I'm here to tell you that 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 might be the hottest part of your take right there that he's going to lead the team in scoring. I mean, yes, there's a non-zero chance, but I think everybody on this team has a non-zero chance uh, of this working, except for you know guys who are not on this team. Uh, John no, no, Child will wait, not wait, lead so- this team in scoring. So, so just really quick, I, I non-zero chance. What I'm saying is that I, I actually think there's a case that can be made, and we're getting off track here. I think there's a case that four different guys could lead this team in scoring. Uh, Kyle Filipowski, who's the most obvious pick. Uh, Jeremy Roach is probably the second most likely pick. Tyrese Proctor, and I think Jared McCain falls in there as well. I think any one of those four guys could end up leading this team in scoring when the, when the year's done. All right, back to you. Yeah. Okay, so I think the rest of your take is not actually that hot. I actually have in my notes. Jared McCain was the most impressive player to me last night. Here is why. For the first time, and I, it, we harken back to he was just on the Brotherhood podcast with Ryan Young, and he and Ryan Young in the clip asked him, "Hey, you know what was it like walking out for Countdown to Craziness?" And Jared McCain was like, "Man, I, I he, like he kind of was like is overwhelming at parts, and he kind of felt like not necessarily nervous, but he had those you know." those jitters of like, man, I'm really in Cameron. I'm really about to play basketball in Cameron Indoor Stadium. Well, last night he had probably the most pressure of anybody on the team because he was that fifth starter. And as we all know, if you're the starter on the team where there could be a lot of starters, if you get that, get that position, then you either earn it and then you have to keep it. The most important job for him might be keeping his place in the starting line, his most difficult task because he has to perform. And I think last night he embraced that pressure that comes with being one of the starting five at Duke University, especially for this team who, as we talked about throughout the summer, has a lot of expectations. And I think when it comes to Jerry McCain, I, I I don't necessarily think it's a hot take to say that he crafts his game after some of those guys that you mentioned, the Steph Curry's of the world, because the, those are the guys that are on TV. Jerry McCain comes from that era of growing yeah. up, watching those guys play and learning from them, just like, you know, 10 years ago, people were saying, you know, do him step back one-legged jumpers like Kobe. Just like in my time, people were trying to play like Jordan. Just like in your time, people were trying to play like, I don't know, Bob Lanier, somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, Shout out Bob Lanier. Did you Shout just do Lanier. that? <laughs> Come on, man. Uh, Larry Bird, somebody. The 80s, right? You have the 80s, I have the 90s, and then he's modeling after the 2010s. Not even the 2000s, the 2010s. And so when you think about it, yeah, he's going to take some of that game. I think one of the best plays of the game was that that play you mentioned, right? Where he kind of kind of flicked it off of himself, like knowing it was going to go in and knowing he was going to get the contact and the foul. He makes the end one, then goes down the next next possession and steals the ball. Like that sort of yeah. hustle. Like we're going to talk about that all season. Those sort of hustle players are what you need, but he's learning that from those, those, you know, the great point guards of this era who have to be crafty. They're not, yeah, they're not the John Morant's who are going to jump over you and, and drop you off at the fifth floor while they dunk you on the ninth. Like, the guys who are going to have to figure out how to create their own shot. I I think he's a great guy to find angles. He made great passes. I thought he made for the most part, wonderful decisions with the basketball. And I think the best part about it is when I, when we talk about the game on Monday, Jeremy Kane is probably going to start that game because there is nothing to take away from this game that says Jeremy Kane does not, did not deserve that fifth spot or that he did not earn the right to open the season as that fifth starter. So I think that's, I think that's good. And, and of course, as we've talked about with freshmen, it's about consistency. Are we, is he going to be able to be consistent throughout the year? As of right now, he hasn't shown that he is inconsistent. He has been very good at what he does. And the only thing that was the, probably quote was an air air quote negative was that he didn't make any of his three pointers, but damn, did they look good when he shot him? Like, we know he's going to make threes. <laughs> We know you he's going to make them. So with the confidence is there. I think that's what's great about it. 
All right, let me quickly go through the other guards, the um, the other perimeter players that I want to talk about. Obviously, Tyrese Proctor, we're going to talk about the shooting, but I, I actually almost enjoyed more a couple of the really savvy passes that he made. And I love seeing him push the pace as much as he did. Duke had 27 fast break points in this game and had 20 assists with just five turnovers. You trace that stuff right back to the point guard, Tyrese Proctor. As great as the shooting, look, I don't expect him to hit four three-pointers in three minutes very often. I do, Jason. I want no, him hitting four to five every single game. I'm just kidding. There you go. Right. But but obviously, uh, I, I love the, the rest of the game for him and the way he uh, really controlled the pace, and I think that's so important for Duke. Um, Jeremy Roach, look, steady. I mean, I don't know how you use any word but steady to describe Jeremy Roach. He gets to his spot. He knocks the shot down. He and McCain drew, uh, I, I think this is a, an actual measurement, a metric shit ton of, of free throws. Is that, that that's the correct measurement? If, if I'm, I, I believe so, right? Jason, they had, what was it, 43 free throws? They made 36 of them. That's yeah. 83.7%. I'm, I only ask him to do 70 to 75%. They went 83%. But again, they're finding ways to get points. And even in, in a game where they were oh, they completely outmatched a UNC Pembroke team who I thought played well, right? There was nothing about their game that they were like, oh, this is a completely overmatched. Like this team that does not deserve to be in this gym. They played hard and they played hard for all 40 minutes. And I'll even talk about that in our quote bad section. But this team, like, found ways to get to the free throw line and they kept knocking them down. And that's a signal to the rest of college basketball saying, Hey, we got guys that we're going to get to the, get to our spots. And if you try to follow us, we'll just beat you from the free throw line all night long. That's what you, that's what you want to see in that way. Those lanes will be open next time because teams are going to say, I don't want to follow them because that's giving them two free points. I'd rather take my chances by trying to defend them. And then you have them, you have that mismatch right there. Yeah, the, the other comment I had on Jeremy Roach was I thought he was a pest on defense. He got his hands in there. He ended up with three steals. I wanted to quickly mention Caleb Foster. I was tremendously impressed with his defense as well. Lots of hustle. He moves his feet really well. He's excellent about uh, being in the right place at the right time on defense. And, I mean, look, he finishes in the lane. That's Caleb Foster's bread and butter. Um, his, his, his outside shot looks good. His bread and butter is I'm going to use my body. I'm going to use my length my physicality to get in the lane on you. And then I'm going to finish. And and I just thought in general, those, those four guards for Duke McCain, Proctor, Roach, and Foster, just really, really impressive. All right. Do, should we get to the bigs now, or you got, you got more on them? No, let's go to the bigs. Cause I think that, I think that rotation was also pretty interesting. Yes. All right. So I'll start with Kyle Filipowski. Um, you know, John Shire in the post game said that flip had a quiet 17 points. And I, I kind of agree with that. Um, he was, you know, for the most part, just getting the job done. Um, uh, he didn't, I didn't see him handle the ball on the perimeter as much as I expected. Certainly not as much as last year. We, we saw very few of those, you know, flip drives from the outside that, that were very effective for him a year ago. He ended up only taking one three pointer. He made it, which is good. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say this. I, I think flip may not really be enjoying playing the five yet. Um, I, Felt like he was forcing things a bit at times. Like I said, the the ball wasn't in his hands maybe quite as much as it was a year ago. Um, he he lost his handle. He you know he lost the ball in the post a couple times, especially in the first half. Now his teammates ended up recovering a couple of these loose balls, um, but you know it it messes up the play. It messes up what was going on. Um, and, and and I also thought with him at the five, Duke seemed like you mentioned this, Donald. They seemed pretty small. Tyrese Proctor was was guarding an opposing forward, the the small forward for the most part. Um, I'm a little bit concerned about our rebounding. We only out rebounded Pembroke 36 to 31. We only grabbed about one third of our offensive rebounds. Remember a year ago, this Duke team offensive rebounding was like the best thing this Duke team did of anything last year. And, and it was good last night. It was 40 percent. We, we offensive rebounded them forty percent of possessions, so I, I'm I'm okay with that part. Yeah, that, that, it was a small it was a small team though, and right, I, I I just didn't see us, and and a fair bit of that came sort of later in the game and the such. I I didn't see us dominating them on the boards like like you might have wanted against against a D two team, and and Duke only had two block shots in the game, one of which was done by Neil Begovich. You know, shout out to Neil, but. I'd like us to have more than one block shot by the guys who are actually going to play. 
playing a team, you know, again, like UNC Pembroke. And speaking of block shots, we had six of our shots packed. UNC Pembroke had one guy who was, he was erasing stuff at the rim left and right. He got to Mark Mitchell a couple times. So that, that's sort of, you know, that's my initial take on it. Mark Mitchell, by the way, only had two rebounds. We need to get more from him. Um, that's my, you know, we're sort of mixing good and bad here. And I apologize for that. But that's my first take on on Flip and Mitchell and, and the bigs. I'll have more on Sean Stewart, but I'll let you get in first. Yeah, I think when it comes to Flip, I think the reason why he didn't, it didn't feel like he was demonstrative is that just as you mentioned, a lot of the times when he got his points last year, he'd get the ball on the wing and he would just absolutely just destroy his opponent on the way to the basket. When he had a full head of steam, nobody could stop him in this country. And I think that was one of the best parts of the game. When he's the five, and especially, you know, when we line up when there's, again, three three de facto point guards lining up at the one, two, and three, you have Mark Mitchell at the four, he has to be in the paint, or at least he has to you know, right, figure out right. a way to keep his guy out of the lane. And even when they double teamed him, he didn't feel comfortable getting the ball because, again, there there wasn't another big man for him to kind of pass to or, or a guy that would stretch the lane. So I think there was a couple of times where both Flip and Ryan Young were in the game, and that was where we had a couple of times where Ryan would initiate a high-low situation to get Flip in yeah, the he position a, that he you, wanted. He had a beautiful pass on one of those, yeah. Yeah, and, and of course, Ryan Young's a great passer, but the great thing is he also can lead Flip into the position that Flip wants to be in because every time Flip caught the ball from Ryan Young, Flip was the turn around and it, it turned into points, whether he got fouled or it was a lay in. Uh, so I think that's some of the things they're going to have to work out. And it's not necessarily where Flip has to be, quote, happy playing the five, but there's going to be times where he's going to be the biggest guy on the floor. And he already is going to command attention because he's a first team All American. He's yeah. preseason ACC player of the year, yada, yada, <laughs> yada. He's going to command attention. I think he will embrace that part of his game and figure out ways. Because again, like you said, he took a three-pointer and he made it. That's yeah. crucial because last year he would take some of those threes and he wouldn't make them. He was making what I think it was under 30% last year from three. So when you think about him being a little bit more consistent from three, that's only just going to draw people out further. And again, when he gets the ball in the perimeter, people got to at least respect his shot. And as great as he was last year at driving the lane when people didn't respect his shot, imagine what happens if they do. Yeah, so uh, let me have a couple other things to say about the big men. You could not watch the second half of this game and not be super impressed with Sean Stewart. He has incredible He was, he was body. a beast. Yeah. I loved it. He has, he has incredible body control in the air around the basket. Like, he goes up and he's able to get his shoulders square and get in position to to finish off his basket. Um, I, I, I read some stuff where people were, like, comparing it to Zion. I don't want to go quite that far. But not entirely dissimilar from from you know what we saw from from the great Zion Williamson. Uh, he also uh, we mentioned we had scrimmage footage where we saw Sean Stewart take like a little mid range jumper. I was like, oh, I I didn't know that was in his bag. I didn't really expect it. He he pulled out two of them in this game and knocked mm -hmm. down both of them. You know, like eight to ten footer. He nailed it both times and confidently take you know taking it. Not like oh you're gonna leave me here. Oh well like. This was in the flow. So I was really, really impressed with him. It is hard to believe that a guy that looked that good is going to be like our eighth or ninth guy in the rotation, especially if, as I mentioned, if if Flip, if playing the five doesn't really work that great for Flip all the time, man, I just feel like, you know, Stewart was, you know, further down in the rotation last night. But I feel like there's a lot of a chance that he's going to move up in the rotation. And then the last, I know you want to talk about Sean Stewart, but the last big guy I did want to talk about was TJ Power. Um, I noticed, by the way, he didn't get in until late in the first half. In the second half, he got in a little bit earlier, which I think was, you know, good for his sort of rotation notation, so to speak. Um, didn't do a ton in this game. He His three-point shot looks very good, even though he only hit one of four. I think that TJ struggles on defense a little bit. Uh, he did pick up four fouls in his 16 minutes of playing. And I, I, I didn't notice him having a huge impact anywhere on the game. He's still figuring out, I think, what works at this level. It looks He absolutely looks like he's going to be a very good player someday. And I think he is in the rotation. But I think he's like like ninth or so. 
And and they're 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 going to be big games. Look, we got Arizona, Michigan State coming up pretty soon. I'm not so sure that he plays a lot against those teams. All right, what you got on the other the freshman bigs? I think first off, Sean Stewart I thought looked great last night, and I think like you said, he he did stuff that we haven't seen yet, like in in the, in the blue white scrimmage and some of these videos and of scrimmages that we've seen in practices and stuff. He has developed a little bit better control both on offense and defense. We talked about how his defensive portion was probably much further ahead than his offensive ability. But as you said, he's he felt very comfortable on the floor on offense. I mean, he came right off the bench, checked into the game, and immediately caught an alley from Caleb Foster. That's how you introduce yourself. Like, yeah, that's baby. a great way. <laughs> yeah, that's the way to do it. Um, so you saw that athleticism. You saw the control of that athleticism. You saw him, again, unleash it at times. And I think he's only going the, – the fact when someone is raw, has a raw talent. It means they're coachable as well. As long as they're coachable, they can improve tremendously in certain areas. And I think on defense, I thought he was able to stay within himself. He kind of had, I know it seems like he's been learning, learning a lot from Mark Mitchell on how to play defense without fouling. And I thought he did fairly well at that. I think at the end of the day on offense, some of these things uh, in his game that he's developing are going to be there. And I think, you know, pulling out that midway range jumper is going to be something that he's going to have in his bag because he feels confident that he can pull it out. And also, it's something that the other team's not going to expect from him because whenever he comes on the floor, they were keying in on the guards. And if you notice, when TJ Power's in the game, when Sean Stewart's in the game, the uh, UNC Pembroke was focusing on the guards because they realized, oh, the guards and maybe if Flip was in the, in the contest, he realized that they were going to be the ones that were going to be carrying the bulk of the scoring. So for Sean Stewart to figure out a way to get in open space, find the ball and, and finish and, you know, absorb contact is going to be something that we're going to hopefully see him improve on as the year goes along. And that's going to be a really, really crucial thing for us, because if he can do that, then that second unit becomes even more solid, which makes the opponents tired at the end of the games when our first team can shine. All right, Donald, we're about pretty much done with the uh, with the Pembroke scrimmage. I, I know we do want to tell uh, we can do a player of the game really quickly. I said it was Jared McCain. I think you said the same McCain. thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So usually we start our coverage so everybody understands with headlines and we typically get headlines from all of you out there, all the listeners. You send us headlines to dbrpodcast at gmail.com or you can tweet them at us. And, and, you know, every game we've been getting dozens and dozens of them. And then we pick the best ones. We read them on the air. We give you full credit for the creativity that you guys come up with. Well, so Donald, for this game, I know you had, we, we didn't sort of tell people that we were doing it for this game. And frankly, I didn't write a headline. I wasn't really prepared for the operation, but, but you got one for us, right? Yeah. So Aaron Cohen on, on Twitter. And again, our Twitter is at Duke roundup. So if you want to go there, Tweet, tweet us your headline after the game or even tweet some of your thoughts. We will read some of the best ones uh, when we recap games throughout the season. But Aaron Cohen had one and it. And Jason, this is great because Aaron Cohen is clearly a listener. And I'm going to share with you in just a second. Balanced Blue Devils beat down Braves. This man understands that we love alliteration. And alliteration <laughs> will go a long way into getting your headline read on this show. So Aaron... Thank you for that. I thought that was pretty cool. And Jason, I actually did have a headline that I was thinking of as the game as the game progressed, and it's a very simple one. We ready? The, the team last night. I like we, that. We, we had the whole thing yesterday where we talked about how Louisville was not ready for prime time, and we've even heard some stuff this morning about some turmoil at Louisville. We're not going to get into it because it's all spec. But the fact of the matter is this: if you had any reservations about. Duke Blue Devils being ready for the start of the season, you can dispel those notions. Duke basketball is ready to begin this season, and we saw that last night. I love it. Hey, we're going to take a quick break, folks. On the other side, we said it earlier, another one. Just days after Duke lands Cooper Flag, another big man appears, maybe, maybe, appears to be headed to Durham. That story in just a moment. We are back from the break, and Donald, it's recruiting news time. So 
big man, Patrick Ngongba, came to Countdown to Craziness. He and Cooper Flag, VJ Edgecombe, they were all there at Countdown to Craziness, along with Isaiah Evans and Darren Harris. You know, we had all the recruits in the house. And these guys were uncommitted. They didn't, they weren't sure. Not not certain where they were going to go. Cooper Flag left Countdown to Craziness. He said, going to Duke. Well, now it looks like Patrick Ngongba left Countdown to Craziness and said, I'm going to Duke. Uh, because last weekend, Patrick went and visited his other finalists. He has three finalists, technically, Duke, Kansas State, and Kentucky. Everyone says this is between Duke and Kansas State. His family has ties to Kansas State and to uh, K-State head coach Jerome Tang. Uh, he has a lot of ties to Jerome Tang. And Kansas State really thought they have an excellent chance at landing him. Patrick would be one of the biggest recruits in Kansas State history. This is not just not a school that gets a lot of big-time basketball players. And he'd be a very big deal for them. He's a top 20, top 25-ish kind of recruit. And just today, in just the past couple hours, there started to be a flurry of crystal ball projections and, you know, these recruiting gurus who have sources here and there who are saying Patrick Ngongba is going to go to Duke. He is scheduled to make his announcement on the 4th, on Saturday. Uh, we, we, you know, I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about him now because our weekend's very busy. We're doing a lot of podcasts and I'm not sure we're going to have time necessarily to, to give a deep dive on him after he announces, but all these forecasters are all saying Patrick Ngongba is going to end up coming to, to Duke. Uh, and in fact, there's a guy who earlier, a, a, he's a Kansas state recruiting guru expert on the K state team. And he had picked Patrick Ngongba to go to Kansas state. And he just flipped his prediction <laughs> when your own guys are saying, oh, you know how I thought we we're going to get him. Now I think the other guys are going to get him. It's a pretty good sign that this kid's about to head to, du to Durham. Let me tell you about him very quickly. He's 6'11", 235 pounds. He is a big boy. He plays for PVI, Paul VI. Duke knows PVI very, very well. Shout out Jeremy Roach. Shout out Trevor Keels. Shout out Devin Harris. I mean, like, it goes on and on. PVI. Top tier PVI players, they like they like to come down to Durham. Uh, Patrick Ngongba has a really solid frame. This is a guy who will not get pushed around. He has very broad shoulders. Uh, it, he is very efficient and very good with shots around the basket. He has lots of length in his arms. He has good footwork, and it allows him to convert shots in the post at a really really nice percentage. He hit close to seventy percent of his shots on the you know elite EYBL circuit. That's that's you know a great number, but people who watch him say he is really de de developing a face-up game as well. They say it will not be surprising if he ends up being a guy who um, is taking and making three-pointers at some point in his career, which is exciting to hear about. He's a winner. His team won the the Peach Jam, the EYBL, and and they you know uh, I mentioned Darren Harris was his AAU teammate, is also his teammate at PBI. These are guys who who like to play together, and now they're both going to be playing together, apparently, in Durham. Now, the knock on Patrick, he's not a versatile defender. This is a guy that if he gets switched onto a guard, he's going to have trouble. He's just He doesn't have great lateral quickness on defense. Um, he blocks shots, but not he's not going to be Derek Lively. He's not going to be Mark Williams. He's not going to be Cooper Flagg. Um, he'll give you some rim protection, but not, not, not on the level of those kind of players. And again, another knock on him is he he needs to work on his motor. He's a rebounder, okay, but not one of these guys who just like thirsts and hungers for the ball at every moment. I think if he comes to Duke, playing in practice, both with and against Cooper Flag, will teach him a little something about motor and how important it is. Cooper Flag's motor runs at 130% uh, every single second that he's on the floor. So I think that'll be good for Patrick Ngongba to see. And the last thing I wanted to mention about him, kid comes from a basketball playing family. Mom and dad both played college basketball at GW, right there in your neighborhood, Donald. It's just down the street. It's a few there blocks go, away. Baby. Yeah. Uh, his father was a, like a part-time starter throughout his career for GW. Didn't score a lot. He was a good rebounder and such. About a 6'8", you know, uh, forward kind of player. His mom, though, his mom was elite. When she left GW in 1997, she was the program's all-time leading scorer, all-time leading shot blocker, and second leading rebounder. His mom can play some basketball. Like we talked about, Cooper Flagg's mom played for Maine. Now we got Patrick Ngongba, but his mom was like, I mean, really big time when she was at GW. 
And and now it looks like Patrick has decided to attend Duke University. Donald, do you have anything on uh, on? Uh, by the way, I should mention Duke needs a big man next year. <laughs> I was going to mention. Is, I was going to. Yeah. I was going to leave ahead, with take, that. Take that part. Yeah, of the I was going to leave with friend. that. And that if you think about the scholarship players that are you know highly in the rotation, you know the only one that's bigger than him is Flip. And you know we expect Flip is going to, uh, you know especially when we win the national championship this year. Spoiler alert. Uh, Wait, wait, that he's going to go. You forgot, you're forgetting Christian Reeves. Well, Christian Reeves, right? Oh, you but said like, in the ro- you said in the rotation. Right? In the rotation, <laughs> yeah, in the rotation. But again, like you, you have those. That's going to be his competition for playing time next year, right? At the five, and he's a true five, like you said. He's a guy who is going to you know, not necessarily camp down in the post, but he's going to be a guy that can play with his back to the basket, can play, you know, start to do his face up game. He can take you out on the perimeter. He's going to be a guy that can occupy that five position, and it makes it where other guys don't have to play out of position on defense. He may not be, you know, the shot, the the elite rim protector uh, that you know that we're going to need. But like you said, we have other guys in the class and that are going to be on this team next year that are going to be able to do that. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, it I'm not going to jinx it, so I'm going to say I, I hope that he. Uh, decides to go to Duke. I know this, you know, these things can change at the last minute. So yeah, as of right now, it may look good, but I really hope that uh, that Patrick Ngagba joins his teammate, Darren Harris and Durham next year. And I think again, I, I might need to get some PVI games. I knew I need to do that for Darren Harris, but man, everybody, everybody's coming from there. I just might need to just say like, Hey guys, you know, follow your teammate this way, this way, just, you know, like the lines exactly. that we have with the little kids at the museums. So just have, just, just have them all going one way. I like it. I like it. Yeah, you dude, you should get over there, watch a game, then come talk about it on the show. That, that'd be a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, the last thing I want to say about Patrick Ngongba is I, I I love that this guy apparently looks like is coming to Duke when he's going to have to fight for playing time. You know, it's the same kind of thing. TJ Power, Sean Stewart. The, these are guys who are coming to Durham, even though. uh you know, based on their recruiting ranking, so to speak, Darren Harris is another one like this. You, you, you do not project them as immediate starters. These are guys who are going to probably have to take a little bit of time to develop, whether that a little bit of time is part of their freshman year or waiting until their sophomore year, or even perhaps beyond, you know, perhaps like a guy like Christian Reeves and, and Jaden shoot. I love that John Shire continues to reel in guys like this who just want to play hard, get better and earn their time over the course of time. I don't think there's a scenario. Look, we could be wrong. I don't think it's very likely that if Patrick Ngongba picks Duke, that he will be penciled in as a starter next year. But he's a guy who can absolutely be a depth piece. And he's a guy who you would think would have a very bright future down the road. And I was going to mention, when you go to a place like Paul VI, one of the best programs in the country, you were you aren't just some guy that's I mean again short of a couple of guys in you know basketball, you're not a guy that's going there just like yeah you know put me at the five I I do my thirty minutes and I go home. He's a guy that goes there to compete. You go there to compete against yes. the best. You go there to play with the best, and you go there to play against the best. And you are in competitive mode the entire time. So he is a guy that everyone needs to understand. He like he's got some fight in him, and I think like you said. I think as from from a five perspective, if we if we're not doing this positionless basketball, then, yeah, he's going to get some playing time wherever you put him in, whether it's at the five or the four. But I think the best part is that he is going to come here if he does choose to go to Duke. He's going to go to Durham and he's going to be ready to compete for every single minute that he gets. And that's that's what I think. I know the UOI Sam has talked about this on the show. I think we enjoy that about the guys that John Shire is bringing in, that all of them come in ready to compete and they're they understand that nothing is given everything is earned and that makes for better basketball i love it all right we're going to wrap up on kind of a sad note uh as we mentioned at the top bobby knight has passed there are few names in college basketball coaching who are as polarizing who inspire as many opinions but also who inspire as much respect as bobby knight did and Donald, I'll let you go first on this uh, absolute legend. Uh, at, at one time, the leading, um, the 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 most winningest coach in all of college basketball until until his buddy Mike Shashevsky came along. Bobby Knight has passed. Yeah, and I mean, when you look at his resume, it's one of the elite resumes in coaching history, regardless of sport. 
He he's one of the few coaches that have won a national title as a player and a coach. He won at Ohio State in 1960 as a player. He obviously won three national championships at Indiana. Has one, you know, the last team to go undefeated in college basketball was his 1976 national championship team. He took over Army at the age of 24. That's obviously something that does not happen in college basketball very, very frequently. Uh, and, you know, like you said, he he coached one Mike Krzyzewski in his early days and was was a guy who shaped so many great, great players. I, I'll tell you, Jason, I grew up a Michigan fan. I hated Indiana, but you had <laughs> I hated Indiana as a, as a program. I just hated it. But you had to respect those teams that put out because every every time a Bobby Knight Indiana team hit the floor, they were a national title contender. It was no no ifs ands or buts about it. You had to bring your A game here or against them. You know five Final Fours, eleven Big Ten titles. He even won an NIT title. He won Coach of the Year. Four yeah. By the way, he, he won he won an NIT title back when winning the NIT was a big deal. Was meant something. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, it's it's. It's incredible uh, the legacy that he has created on the basketball court. It, it, also, Jason, we talk about his international. He won the Pan Am Games as a, as a coach, gold medal, gold medal, 84 Olympics. Again, held in L.A. where you have that pressure of winning in, in USA basketball after everything that had happened in 70 in 72 in 1980, we didn't even participate. So, right. you know, he's in the Hall of Fame. He's in the Basketball Hall of Fame. He's in the College Basketball Hall of Fame. And yeah, Jason, it's polarizing. For him as well, because of all the you know the the tactics that he used, the 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 anger and the fire and and however you want to describe his emotions when he was coaching, um, a lot of almost everything that he did as a college basketball coach could not be done today. That but the times, you know, he was that guy that everyone said, hey, he was he getting you, he would he would dig under your skin, he would yell at you, he he but he would make you a better man, he'd make you a better basketball player. And I know at the end, when Coach K was approaching his record, um, you know, they, they were very close. And I know that that became a little uh, acrimonious and adversarial, um, especially as Coach. Yeah. Pe- yeah. A strained relationship, especially as Coach K passed his uh, his record. He won 903 at the Garden and Bobby Knight was calling the game and they had that, you know, kind of awkward handshake. But yeah, I really hope and, and I know Coach K has always said that no matter what, he's always said that, you know, General Robert Montgomery Knight was was the guy that shaped him into the basketball player and the coach that he became. And I really hope, you know, I know that he's feeling it no matter what the relationship was. I do hope that they were able to patch things up because I know um, that Bobby Knight had been sick lately. And he had, I think he had just gone back to Indiana a couple of years ago uh, for the first time since he was fired unceremoniously in 2000. So I really hope that all of that was patched up. And, and again, yeah, like you said, it's, a, it's kind of a, uh, a, it's kind of a twisted legacy for him and, and very, very uh, polarizing. But at the end, when you hang your hat on the, on the hat, on the, you know, on the hook of respect, you have to give respect to Bobby Knight for all that he brought to college basketball. And again, he shaped so many guys into the players and coaches that they were. Yeah. I'll, I'll show my age a little bit. I vividly, vividly remember watching Keith Smart hit that game winning shot in the 87. 87. Yeah, the 87, 87. uh national championship game to give Bobby Knight his his uh you know second was it second third third, third national third, third national title. Sorry. He the the first two he won, I was too young to really watch. But I I, I watched Keith Smart. I watched that team win that national title and then I watched him over the years always be very, very successful. And and at Duke, we owe him a special debt of gratitude because, as you mentioned, he was absolutely Mike Shashevsky's mentor and taught Shashevsky a lot of what Coach K knew about the game. I think one of the better ways that I've seen to remember Bobby Knight is the column that Jay Billis wrote on ESPN. I've read a lot of Bobby Knight takes and Bobby Knight stories over the over the past you know twelve or so hours since we heard. That, that Bobby Knight had uh, had passed. And I just thought Jay's column was was so beautiful. And I just want to read a couple excerpts from it for folks who haven't listened to it. And frankly, even if you did read it already, I bet you'll, I bet some of these will bring a smile to your face. Jay starts out by saying that Bobby Knight was the most successful, respected, influential, and powerful coach of his era and beyond. 
and he was also the most controversial, criticized, and feared coach of his time. Jay says he could have coached any sport and been just as effective as the way he coached basketball. He had an analytical mind. He understood motivation and inspiration. He had an extraordinary ability to break things down. Jay says that watching a football or basketball, or sorry, baseball game with Bobby Knight was a special treat because he could pick it apart the same way you would expect him to dissect a basketball game. That is truly remarkable. He said that Knight had an ability to see minute yet important details on a basketball floor that Jay said was unmatched. Jay said it would be hard to believe that any coach anywhere could not learn something from sitting in a film session with Bobby Knight and then feeling somewhat uneducated as Bobby Knight pointed out details that even the best coaches would probably have missed. And then I love this story. Jay said that in 1984, after coaching Michael Jordan in the gold medal U.S. Olympic team, Donald, you mentioned that, the general manager of the Portland Trailblazers, Stu Inman, who had the second pick in the NBA draft. Everyone knew Hakeem Olajuwon was going number one. And Portland was trying to decide, should we take Michael Jordan number two? And Stu Inman called up Bobby Knight and you know wanted to know his advice on Michael Jordan. And Knight said, Jordan's the best basketball player he'd ever seen. And Inman said, well, but we've already got Clyde Drexler. We, don't, we really need a center. And Bobby Knight's response was, and play Michael Jordan at center. <laughs> and, and they did that. They, 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 didn't they get Sam Bowie? Is that who they got? Yes, they drafted yeah. Sam Bowie. Yes. Same thing. Same thing. Yeah. Didn't quite work out for them. They should have listened to Bobby Knight. Um, Jay talked about how Bobby Knight, some little details, like how Bobby Knight would keep his practice plans secret. He'd write them on index cards that he wouldn't even show to his assistant coaches. So the players wouldn't know what to expect or how to pace themselves in practice. Um, Jay talked about the fact that Bobby Knight had the strangest taste in beverages that he liked to order Dr. Pepper with lemonade. God, that sounds disgusting. <laughs> that's not, it's not a combination. Did we I call that try. a Bob Knight. Like you have the Arnold Palmer. Is that the Bob Knight? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if I want to try that. Oh, I'm not sure I'm going to try that one. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then, uh, so anyway, that, that Jay Billis column, folks, just go out there to ESPN.com and find it. It's, it's worth reading. I gave you some of the highlights from it. My bottom line at the very end, uh, as much as we enjoyed watching Bobby Knight coach, because he was a hell of a coach, I enjoyed Bobby Knight, the analyst. There was a period on ESPN from 2008 to 2015, and a lot of it was studio work, but Bobby Knight was also doing broadcasts. He was doing games. Folks, if you, if you didn't catch Bobby Knight calling a basketball game, you missed something. He was great, and to hear him just point out things, you know, again, Jay talked about in that column, the stuff he would point out when I was, I was like, I'm getting a lesson in basketball every single time I listen to Bobby Knight doing color commentary on a basketball game. And I, to this day, I'll go ahead and say it. There's no color commentator, analyst, whatever you want to call it, who is even in the same league as what Bobby Knight was. Uh, don't you agree, Donald? I thought he was very good. And I think the best part about him was that he didn't, if he saw something on the court, right? Like you, you see some analysts will see something on the court and they're very quick to immediately talk about it or interrupt and say, yeah, you know, this is what happened. He'd be very calm. I think it's funny. Ironically, he was known as a guy who was fiery and, you know, flew by, you know, kind of very emotional. And during those games, he was very calm and reserved. And whenever there was a point to be made, he made it clear and succinctly and it fell into the flow of the game. And like you said, Jason, you did learn something about how you watch a basketball game. If you remember, Jason, that, you know, you mentioned that tail end of when he was on was kind of when we were starting this show. Yeah. And you're able to kind of, we had to learn as, as, as the, you know, the two of us and also Sam, we had to learn how to not watch the game as a fan all the time. Right. We had to kind of dig into the analytics a little bit, kind of dig into like, again, spacing and some of those things that, you kind of have to think like a, like a coach and, you know, having him on broadcast was great because you got to get into the mind of a coach to understand what, you know, what situations would require certain things and why at the end of games, you know, some teams feel like they, you know, the cream rises to the top and why some they fall flat. Those were little things that you got whenever Bob Knight was on TV. And I think, like you said, yeah, it was always an excellent interpretation analysis and perspective because 
you didn't just get any coach. You got one of the greatest coaches uh, on the, yeah. on that, on that call. <clears throat> yeah. So with that, we will wrap it up here on episode 551 of the Duke basketball roundup. We mentioned it earlier, but I will mention it again. Feel free to reach out to us. Send us that email. D B R podcast at gmail.com. Donald and I will be reading. We will be answering. And we especially want you to know that on Monday, when the Blue Devils play Dartmouth, when that game ends, we better be getting headlines from all of you. We want those pithy, funny, amusing headlines. If you want to drop in a couple, you know, words of analysis or or thoughts or something like that, we won't steal it. We'll give you credit. We're very good about that kind of thing, right, Donald? We don't play dress. Yeah, definitely not. Anyway, thank you for joining us. We'll be back in your feed again tomorrow. Are you getting sick of us yet? You're probably getting sick of us. I hope not. Back in your feed again tomorrow to talk a little bit about some football being played tonight and some basketball previewing the start of the Blue Devils season. Until then, I'm Jason. He's Donald. This is the Duke Band to play us out and take us home. By the way, have you listened to yesterday's yet? Um, I have not yet, no. See if you notice there were two different times where um and probably it's probably my internet, probably not yours, uh, where like you froze for me. And then when you come back, like you freeze for like two seconds. When you come back, you're sped up for like five seconds. Yeah, that happened on my end too, where you were saying something and I was like, I was like, I hope he comes back. It was like maybe three or four seconds and then the audio came through fine but your video is you're like doing this right exactly <laughs> but the audio but the audio is sped up as it catches back up to where you are yeah <laughs> and i was able to edit them out and they, they they all sound fine but i was like i wonder if like if someone's listening at 1.5 which i typically listen to they're gonna be like oh my god that's so fast i can't get me <laughs> right <laughs> I, I listen at 1.5 uh just to make sure <laughs> yeah. we don't uh we don't sound like the micro machines guy yeah no, I know. And and we do sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Usually when we're excited. <laughs> <laughs>